0: Hello and welcome everybody to episode 218 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast. Uh, first one of the new year, uh, gathering together after the holidays. Uh, Paul's still out of town. He, he had to run off on an emergency business trip last minute, but we got Ryan here and we're joined uh, once again, special guest Steve Garshinski. So Steve, how are you doing? Thanks for hopping on with us last second here.
1: I, I thought I thought nobody was doing baseball right now. I mean, there
0: is no baseball. So, okay.
1: yeah. I, okay, I thought maybe I missed something. Are they playing yeah. the
2: Dominican League? What's, where are they at? I think they're in the playoffs of sorts, or maybe that just finished. They were in the playoffs in uh, December because everybody was talking about it. Uh, Eric Langenhagen kept talking about watching it. I didn't, I should have watched more of it. I barely found it even where it was online.
1: Yeah, because when, when you hit March, you're not going to see anything. So
0: you should have watched it. We're going to. Get back into the Bundesliga like we were a couple of years ago, in, <laughs> in COVID times, or or watching the New Zealand baseball league, or or whatever. So I think we should yeah. do
2: a, a watch along of all twenty four hours, or whatever it is, of the Ken Burns baseball thing. Oh my god! And do episode recaps. We should, that's
1: uh, that's definitely what we should do. I, I'm pretty sure that was the beginning of the pandemic, so <laughs> I don't know
0: if I can do it again. <laughs> We've all seen it like twelve times by now, especially with the the holiday uh, marathon that they do every year. But
1: well, speaking of marathons, my my, my eight year old son just finished the Simpsons. Oh, oh wow! Wow! And so now, now he's decided to cycle back around again.
2: It makes him one of like four humans who've actually seen all the episodes, and maybe <laughs> the other three all work. Yeah, for. I mean, you
1: know, because most of them are on like Disney Plus. Like, there's no commercials, and he's doing yeah while it's on. So. Oh man.
2: So that means you're starting to watch again now, right, Steve? Like you're actually watching now that they've relooped back to the beginning.
1: I've seen like fifteen seasons that I would never seen before before
0: <laughs> yeah. that's amazing yeah i've I've had fun. Uh, I haven't really flipped on MLB network all that much during the lockout just because like there's nothing really to pay attention to, but I haven't the owners
1: these... the owners send out their own press releases. You don't need to watch them uh, read it live on air,
0: right. Right, exactly. Uh but they have uh put together a pretty decent collection of like old timey games that I've never seen before. Like I randomly turned on the one day and they had like game three of the nineteen seventy seven World Series on. And that was that was kind of cool. Uh Ron Guidry pitching in that game. So uh there's at least that. But yeah. you know
1: what they should bring back? Have you guys ever watched the original home run derby show?
2: No, mm-hmm. I have not. From Wrigley Field in Los Angeles yes
1: and yep. be, i think like the disney channel or something used to show it like uh, it
2: used to be on nickelodeon i know nickelodeon. yeah i, I watched was, it in the it 90s one. when back when they didn't have all their original content they were still like taking everything from canada
1: yeah <laughs> So I, I remember my dad all of a sudden would get really excited he's like hey guys guys come in here you got to watch this You got to watch this it's hank aaron versus you know
2: mickey, mickey mantle. mantle yeah uh, yeah oh in, wow
1: in home run derby and it's very dry and it's three like literally three outs an inning and they play nine innings so it's going back and forth but yeah mm-hmm. they should just they should just show those on MLB network during the during the winter because that That's would be cool. both very dry and very interesting to watch and it's also <laughs> that
2: weirdo camera angle where you're watching a game from behind the yes. uh yeah you're watching from behind the, watching the plate behind the plate yeah
0: yeah yeah I caught that from the 77 World Series, like a little bit that I watched too. I was like, this is kind of weird how they just switch behind the plate for entire at bats. And I mean, yeah, it was just a different time, different way to broadcast. Everything's kind of become like the same now, which could be a complaint about the way the well, games are. Well, now shown, it's like when, yeah. when the camera's off
1: center in the outfield, people are like, oh my God, what is this broadcast doing? Exactly. Uh-huh.
0: Exactly. Yeah. yeah. If you can't That's see the perfect strike zone. Yeah. yeah exactly. Oh, man.
2: We've all become very spoiled by how good TV I just noticed today. I turned on Red Zone for the first time in like six weeks today. Oh, yeah. And uh, I noticed something that you would appreciate, Steve, as the uh, the resident techie audiophile here, that they have now gotten it so that all of the audio is perfectly matched from stadium to stadium. So when you switch from place to place, you don't get those jarring like switches in in like the the base noise of what the crowd volume is. Mm. It's uniform. So like they are down to that level of detail where their broadcasts are just like precise
0: yeah red zone's the best it's like the only way to really watch it's football it's now I best. think yeah. it's the best and the worst <laughs> exactly
2: well the, the best part of it is the no commercials thing like it that's, is that's the best yeah.
1: but again I'm watching I'm in the championship this week and I'm watching it and I'm like I got to turn this shit off because it's driving me crazy mm-hmm. I'm like it's just non-stop and I'm sitting there waiting for like the next score so it's like nah I can be done with this I'll R- Ryan sends me a message and says or no you get you actually called me like a psychopath and, uh, oh,
0: who calls people
1: yeah and asked if I wanted to be on I'm like sure that'll that'll blow an hour and a half instead of watching the NFL it, like, the crap kind of the games. I'm like I'm missing I'm missing the Lions and
0: yeah yeah right or something like I'm that. in Ross St. Brown just scored by the way Steve if that matters to you <laughs>
2: <laughs> that is what excited face I don't think I've seen him look that happy in
1: oh, the beginning of the yeah. pandemic <laughs> Dude, you it's know, the difference yeah. of like $400 for this. I'd so. save.
0: Yeah, yeah. amon Rod St. Brown and uh, Rashad Penny are going to save me from the doldrums of the early games and and maybe get me 300 extra bucks. So, yeah. All right. Uh so while we're super distracted, I guess we should just kind of roll through this and and get to our topic of the day. We're actually going to do something uh, interesting here in a minute, but first as always, a reminder, you can become a patron sign up for as little as two bucks a month. That's at patreon.com slash tailgate. You help us out and you get question priority here on the podcast as well as that Packers reporting as eligible podcast as they get down to the end of the season here. Uh, five bucks a month. Gets you that extra content. You get the Minor League Extra podcast with Ryan and James Anderson from Rotowire. They just put out a ton of content uh, at the end of the new year. Ryan, you want to talk about kind of your your interview review stuff and what people can get if they sign up right now?
2: Yeah. So uh, the first episode that we did, we talked about kind of a wrap up of the season, uh, gave out some awards, talked about tools of guys within the system, sort of danced around the bigger questions, which was how would we rank these guys now? And though we did get a bunch of questions about that, that we, we went through, talked about that a bit at towards the end of that episode, that episode ran about an hour and 20, I think. And then we settled in on this Friday to do our top tens and then take questions on that. And that took the better part of two hours. It was uh, about an hour and 40 minutes or something like that. So that's what we have. Uh, for the to end up the year and we also kind of hinted at what we're going to talk about later and I need to avoid it in this podcast because it's we could go into it here and we're not going to but uh, we're there there's some stuff about the minor league system some questions that I want to discuss with James about uh, why is it that the Brewers farm system is so good at turning out pitchers and has been now for the better part of a half decade and yet when we ran through our lists We only had both of us only had two pitchers in our top tens and it's not like the hitters are like really producing (laughs) and becoming that great. So trying to reconcile that and figure out what is going on with that uh, is something that I really want to hit. And we're going to do that in our January episode. We're already kind of scheduling that for around uh, MLK Day weekend. So we're going to record that around then and uh, dig into that. So, yeah, if you want to listen to year-end minor league awards and then uh, the top tens of both James and I, that uh, is all available to you for the the low, low price of $5 a month.
0: I was going to say, like three four hours of content for five bucks not that bad so uh you can sign up there uh when you become that five dollar patron level two you also get paul's reporting as eligible preview mini pods every week he previews the packers game uh those usually drop the friday before the game he recorded this one before kirk cousins tested positive for covid but i think it was kind of uh an assumption that it was a distinct possibility so i don't think it affected it it that much
1: he yeah. called it in his original preview yep and then it happened and he he recorded a, an addendum to that so there you go talk about both scenarios
0: there you go so you get that too uh so by the time you listen to this the sunday night game will already be over but you can do what i do i'd like to listen like after the fact and, and see how much of uh paul's nostradamus skills there and, and see and usually he kind of hits it right on the head so you also get that as well when you sign up at patreon.com mke tailgate i guess this week on the main pod we wanted to do something uh a little bit different you know obviously uh lockout still going on uh i guess we should just address that because it's been a couple of weeks uh since we've done this and nothing's really happened so i guess no news not necessarily good news not necessarily bad news it's just there's no deadlines yet so nobody has any reason to really talk about anything, but, uh, Steve, any chance, do you think spring training opens on time or are we kind of screwed here?
1: No, I think that's definitely going to be a casualty is, is the beginning of spring training at a minimum. Um, you know, that's their time to basically lobby lobby to fans, you know, the court of public opinion, when, when people start noticing that something's missing, um, you know, so I think at least the first couple of weeks, February has gone for sure we're probably pushing back the start of the season at least a couple weeks, I would imagine.
2: Um, I would bet that direction. I don't know if we get to the 1994 point, or sorry, 1995, where they actually took some games out. People forget 1995 was an abbreviated season because they got started a little bit late.
1: Yeah, I know this year, what's disappointing about it is like our our school spring break lined up with being able to go to spring training this year, finally. Right? Uh, This was the first time yeah because most of them, yeah, it had been falling in april so it was too late to do spring training um and when we were talking about like oh do we want to do a trip for spring break you know my wife asked if we wanted to go like to arizona and i'm like i don't we we'd plan it out four or five months ahead of time and i'm not sure we'd see any games and i wouldn't bet on it so um that's, and what else would you want to do in more.
2: arizona in with exactly. an eight-year-old in the middle of march yeah he,
1: he doesn't golf, so uh, I don't know what else we have to do. Go to early dinners, that's about it. So, um, Yeah, like I said, that that's personally, when I saw like what the timeline was for it, I wasn't going to literally put money on uh, them being back and playing by that time. So I think that's kind of the situation we're in.
2: Yeah, I hadn't even discussed this with you, and we're in exactly the same situation. I was so excited. We finally had a spring break. That was going to be in March and I could actually go to spring training games and that's probably not going to happen now. So we're probably just not going to do it. It sucks.
0: Yeah. It's a bummer. I've never actually been out to Arizona, but kind of maybe considering it in the next year or two and, and eh, probably not this year. <laughs> it's yeah, I've, I've, it never actually it, done, yeah. I've never done
1: Arizona for spring training. We went down to Florida years ago when I was, you know, like a teenager. So we went to like red Sh- red Sox spring training. Nice. Um, I think Jose Canseco was there for their spring training that year. <laughs> he had a couple of bombs early that, yeah, it was, it was impressive. It was fun to see in, in, in that, you know, situation where you're sitting in a small stadium like that. Um, so, again, it would have been fun to get out to Arizona for for games there to see the Brewers play. But, yeah, it's been a long time since I've been to any of the spring training. So
2: Yeah, I was actually at spring training just this last spring. It was the first public event I did coming out of COVID after uh, we had been vaxxed and everything and mm-hmm. went down and saw in Lakeland. It was the very last game of the year between Tampa and the Tigers. So I got to see Wander Franco. I got to see oh, nice. Spencer Torkelson, Matt Manning, um, one of the other uh starters for the the Tigers. I also got to see all the, the young Dalton Var show, just a, a host of prospects. It couldn't have been any better a game for that. And I'm totally geeked about it. And my wife and my parents are like, Oh, you're really excited about this. And I'm like, Yes, you're seeing guys who are like gonna be <laughs> the next generation of baseball stars. And they're like, that's nice. <laughs> so it it completely lost on them they did not care at all they were just like one happy to be outside and like doing this and trying to figure out how weird it all felt and normal and this was back when they had everything zip tied so like you couldn't even be near anybody else if you wanted to like you had to you there was just you know social distancing enforced on that so yeah it was but it was a hell of a lot of fun and i saw a bunch of really good players before they made their major league debuts.
0: Yeah, I guess we should say, too, like, there's a pretty solid chance we still think, right, that spring training will be held just with minor league players. So, I mean, maybe if you want to go down and see that. But uh, for the reasons that we've talked about, Ryan, right, like the, the owners want to make sure they have all that money and they fulfill those obligations, right?
2: And then it becomes a question of will the players cross, if not an actual uh a picket line, a metaphorical picket line, Will the minor leaguers actually do that. Will they say, I'm going to cross over this line. Uh, and I don't know exactly how that even played out in 94. The coverage of baseball was so different back then and not nearly as good. (laughs) So I'm very curious to see how that would actually play out. Would these players really do that and allow the owners to meet some contractual goals and take pressure off of the union? Um, and by the way, there is one other bit of news before we dive into this. Did you see that uh, a group of people is suing MLB to take away their uh, um, antitrust exemption?
0: Well, that would be interesting.
2: And it, they have a very good chance of getting <laughs> it because Neil Gorsuch, yeah. in his NCAA decision, wrote basically opening up the door. That literally, the, the podcast I listened to, they talked about this. They said flat out that Gorsuch opened the door for us to do this, and we, we weren't planning on doing it. And then we read that decision. We're like, okay, we're going to challenge now because it seems like the door has been opened for ending MLB's antitrust exemption. So that would be not nearly – the biggest place that would affect is minor leaguers, actually. That would be mm-hmm. the biggest. And that's what they're being they're being sued based on the places that lost teams in that shuffle when right. they they dropped 40 teams – that is what the the lawsuit is based on so it's going to be a wild ride and mlb is going to fight tooth and nail to keep that thing obviously so
0: we will see yeah kind of wish we had paul here to talk about that but i'm sure we'll have plenty of time because it's not like there's going to be major league spring training all right
1: you have march to kill so yeah
0: yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) We'll 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 find some spot for that uh any of you uh, listening right now please just remind us to talk about that before we forget but um all right yeah i guess let's jump into what we wanted to do this week and ryan came up with this idea you know it's january it's the start of a new year i'm the news and politics geek so you know that leads to like state of the unions and state of the states and all that stuff so let's just do a state of the brewers as we sit here in january starting 2022 we're gonna go through a few different uh portions of the team from ownership down to front office coaching staff all the way down to the minor league scouting and development and just kind of take a 10,000 foot view of the organization at those various levels and kind of see where they're headed so I guess let's start with the ownership group here uh before we get to patreon questions I'm going to jump in and just kind of get your guys' thoughts on just the general sense or the feel of ownership heading into 2022. Uh, Ryan, let's start with you. How are you feeling about Mark Adanasio and his ownership group heading into another year?
2: I mean, it's kind of same old, same old, right? It, nothing has really changed. And I think that their their ownership in a lot of ways has been very good. And in some other ways, it's been more lacking. They definitely have done a good job hiring people to run the organization. And I think that goes all the way back to him not firing Doug Melvin right away when he came in, as many owners would do, is bring in their own guy and and do that right away. I think that Melvin did a good job for them for the most part. Probably could have gotten the axe like a little bit earlier than he did, maybe more right after like the 2011 2012 when when that whole thing needed to happen instead of giving another couple years. But I think that mostly worked out well. So generally, I think they've done a pretty decent job uh in terms of ownership the the question is always are they spending enough money like are they doing that and frankly without knowing the ins and outs of the books and no one does because MLB keeps that stuff very secretive it's hard to say other than assuming that everybody could spend more than they are and they just choose not to because they don't need to and still keep people relatively happy
1: I mean, they, they seem to be willing to give out the franchise contracts. I mean, Ananasio's done that a couple of times. He did it with Ryan Braun. He did it with Christian Yelich. Um, obviously, the, the hit rate on those is questionable at best. <laughs> well, the first um, Braun
2: contract's great
1: yeah that was yeah the The one that was the extension that just bought out a couple years of arbitration and added a couple years on yeah and the
2: second one is kind of hopelessly polluted by what happened with him in 2013 well 2012 Mm -hmm. 2013 well
1: yeah so you you take away like the controversy around it i mean the number of games he played and the production he had i mean i guess it was worth what he was making but it wasn't like a fantastic contract right um so it was fine. So we'll see where Yelich lands. So I think they they are willing to to fork over some, you know, money. I think when it counts. Um, I mean, do you want the mid tier contracts? Like, how many of those do you want to put on the books? And yeah, how many of the Kyle Loches or whatever, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, or even if you know re-signing uh, Abascal Garcia for you know a little bit more than he might be worth, or somebody like that. Um, I mean, you can could they do it yeah i guess but um spending money just to spend it i don't know if that's gonna really you know make anybody happy if there's not a return on it they spent money on jackie bradley jr that was a disaster so they got rid of him <laughs> right i mean i'll give the front office credit when stuff goes bad whether it's uh jonathan scope or or jackie bradley jr like they aren't afraid to cut bait on it that's right for sure
2: right and they do seem to just have a knack for finding guys on the scrap heap uh, you know various ways especially on the pitching side but also on the hitting side and just cycling through players and not getting themselves tied into bad long-term deals that cause them to have to like prematurely sort of end things or whatever they've they've done a good job of of maintaining that but the question always is okay you could do that but you could probably do that at, at a you know, $30 million more per year level, and they would still be making money, probably. I mean,
1: I guess, hey, hey Ryan, do you like, I guess their approach basically is uh, uh, stars and, I don't want to say stars and scrubs, but stars and youth approach for their contracts. I mean, does that make sense to you? Because again, they don't have a lot of like mid-tier contracts.
2: Absolutely. I think that there is a lot of truth to the idea. and We've talked about this, going way back to when you and JP were on here, their approach seems to be evolving into a, they want to be Oakland, Tampa Bay. Well, I guess not Tampa Bay anymore, but Oakland, Cleveland, you know, Tampa Bay plus a franchise contract. Mm -hmm. And now Tampa Bay has done the franchise contract thing, which is very interesting. It'll be fascinating to watch how that plays (laughs) out for them because they now have the big money guy on the books for a very long time. So We'll see exactly what comes of that. But yeah, that's, that is pretty much what they're doing and it seems successful, but again, could you do that with Tampa, that model plus two franchise contracts? Maybe, probably, right? I don't know because we can't see the books specifically, but Cor- Corbin Burns or
1: Brian right. We're going to be the test for
2: that.
0: I was going to say that's the, the test here, right? Co- can you have Christian Yelich plus one of those two guys? I think we all kind of assume they can't keep both of them. So multi $100 million pitching contract and a $800 million hitting contract. Can they squeeze that in? You know, I think that's the big question going forward.
1: Well, I mean, if Mark A pulls out his wallet, I mean, he can clearly do it. So. Sure,
2: where we should look, and this is probably a good time to remind everybody that it's not just about Marque pulling out his personal wallet; it's also about him pulling out the wallets of all of the other investors of the team. Because last we heard, his ownership percentage of the team was well under fifty percent, right? Something around thirty percent, Steve.
1: I don't have the percentages. Don't ask me. Well, <laughs> no, 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 we've we've <laughs>
2: talked about this. People have found this information, and like he does yeah, not
0: own. He's one of many. He's he's not he's, a majority share he's just the largest share right exactly
1: yeah, he's a figurehead but he's not yeah he's not the controlling ownership uh amount
2: well i think he's yeah i think he's controlling but he's not the like the final word he is responsible well, if, he's under 50, the other. if he's under 50 he's not controlling oh yeah from that perspective okay i i see what you're saying
0: uh this would probably be a good time to maybe segue into our first patreon question comes from your guys's buddy jay Jay google the first one on uh specifically for you steve i did this or ryan probably did this because uh yeah jay's question here uh what's your take on the mlb trade rumors site posting owners net worth in the last week mark was worth 700 million dollars He saw a lot of talking points on it on Brewer's Twitter this last week. Uh, I think the caveat here, and we'll like uh, credit Brew Crew Ball. I think as I saw I saw this from, but basically the Mark Adanacio figure is from like 2012, so it's a decade old information here listing his net worth as 700 million dollars uh any skepticism ryan about a lot of these net worths and kind of convenient this is coming out in the middle of a lockout when owners are trying to say they're not making enough money right
2: yeah i mean it's good to show how much money they actually all have and how you know how much money they really can afford if those figures are real and I think you should cast a pretty skeptical eye towards it because we know that Mark Antanasio just last year, and I'm looking at the Milwaukee Business Journal here, um, he agreed to sell a 51% stake in Sun, uh, sorry, of his Crescent Capital Group to Sun Life Financial of Canada for up to $338 million in an agreement where him and his business partner will still operate Crescent for about five more years. So he's splitting that with. A partner like that 338 million is being split up somehow
1: and that's like 500 million canadian
2: <laughs> no no canadian the canadian dollars a is lot the, of loonies yeah it's, it's on the other side now steve <laughs> canadian dollars are, uh higher than the, the american dollar when was the last time you were in canada when you were 12 yeah. <laughs> i think it was yeah. <laughs> looking at books book jackets <laughs> from back then okay so anyway um <laughs> Yeah, he he just got this huge windfall, and that doesn't seem to be included in this amount of money, so it's it's very hard to tell, and uh, rich people have a lot of incentives to be opaque about their real net worths, uh, unless they're in some sort of like – dick measuring contest with other billionaires about who the the uh, wealthiest duck on earth is like uh elon musk and whoever bezos and whoever else is currently in that little uh contest so yeah like we don't know but dude's sitting on a lot of money generational wealth many generations worth of wealth i should say
0: yeah, Steve. I guess your thoughts on on that. Like, can we a trust anything we see coming out on the net worth of rich people, or is it kind of all smoke and mirrors? Or I, I guess what I mean, your thoughts on that? It's it's
1: funny money by that point. I mean, seven hundred million yeah. up to uh, what was his name, uh, Steve Cohen for the Mets being worth like fifteen point eight billion or whatever it is. That's, right. What the, none of them had have anything to worry about. I think the takeaway is uh baseball's a business and regardless of how much money these owners have they run a business um you know and they're going to protect their own interests they have their own money and then they have a baseball team it's not combined in any way so you know I, it would be great to see them put all of the money that they make in the baseball team back into the club considering that like they don't need any profit from it, but I mean that's just not the reality. That's not the way it works. They want to make sure that they're they're making some money off of it, um, and not, uh, I guess, wasting their own money. You know, otherwise they would drop in the uh, rankings wherever they publish that in magazines. I don't subscribe <laughs> to. You.
0: <laughs> you don't get Forbes delivered to your door every month Locked or a week guys. or what. <laughs> And just you, a Forbes do, do you, yeah. Steve
1: Forbes, did you ever see that? Do you remember that uh, Saturday Night Live bit? When Steve uh, Steve Forbes hosted Saturday Night Live? And he showed up know. on, he did some like interview thing where he was like talking for Steve Forbes and he called himself Teve Torbes. <laughs> like <it>, a <laughs> media person. Yeah, It, uh, it, it uh, 20 uh, years predated yeah. Trump doing the same thing. So mm-hmm. it was very, like, got In retrospect. But yeah, it's a business. These guys don't spend their own money on it. So it's great to see that. And again, I think the one value is it puts into perspective, you know, when like uh, Bryce Harper signs a $350 million contract over 12 years. Like, yeah, that's a lot of money for us. But for these owners, they don't get to own a baseball team with that amount of money. (laughs) Right. Like they don't jump into that echelon of, of wealth. So that's how wealthy these guys are. The most well-paid baseball player still does not rank anywhere near these guys.
0: It's like literally half of what Mark Adonacio, the owner of the smallest market team in baseball has. Right. So, so, you know, again, uh, just remember
1: whenever you see the numbers for anybody signing a contract, uh, it's not that much with the amount of money that baseball generates and the amount of money that these owners just control on their own. Like, Yeah, don't hold it against the players if they try to get a bit of their own.
2: Mm -hmm. Which they had already kind of given away in the last few CBAs. Uh, Now is a good time for us to once again mention Jonathan Judge's theory on this that he has talked about on Twitter that he thinks a big part of why a lot of the, uh, the, the spending hesitancy has crept into baseball over the past few years is that with franchise value's Getting to be so high, it becomes harder and harder and harder for owners to be able to afford to take on like the full ownership of of a franchise themselves. Mm -hmm. And so, what that leads to is a lot of split ownership groups. You don't have like I think the Steinbrenner family still owns like basically the whole New York Yankees, or maybe they've sold off bits and pieces of it over the years. But like the thing is, with those with with the teams being split up. That means that you have to have uh, responsibility for all those minority owners, and they are going to expect a return on their investment and not getting cash calls, which I believe the Cleveland Guardians just put out a cash call. There was something mm-hmm. floating around Twitter on that uh, about that, that they put out a call for cash from their, their ownership, and uh, people don't like that.
0: <laughs> they, <laughs> well, even really they wealthy?
2: wealthy people don't like that
1: you also get a lot of financial guys running baseball teams now even in the front office. And I think they're all about risk management.
2: Yeah. Risk management yeah. and getting the the best return on
0: investment possible. Yeah. yeah.
1: So if you put a lot of money into one guy, you know, it, it just increases your risk on that. So that's why they don't want to do it.
0: Yep. There you go. I guess, speaking of front offices, we can move on to the next portion of the state of the brewers. That is the front office. You know, we've had a ton of speculation in the last uh, year or two, especially, about david Stearns' future with the organization whether he'd go to the new york mets or or what have you uh we've seen you know Stearns elevated to that vice president of baseball operation or president of baseball operations we've seen matt arnold get that gm spot uh so i guess that leads to the natural question here and i know we've maybe talked about the topic once or twice before but we can kind of revisit it now as we head into a new year how long steve do you think realistically does matt stearns uh or (laughs) david stearns and matt arnold uh stick around as kind of the brain trust here in milwaukee matt vid starnold uh yes how long can they hold on to
1: him you know i think this is part of like what you know everybody wonders like what's the new money ball what's the new money ball uh I don't know, paying your front office, like whatever mm-hmm. they want would be a way to like play much ball <laughs> and probably win because they make so much less than players do. Um, so I mean, realistically, how long can they hold on to them? Probably maybe another year or two. Um, if they opened the, if they opened their wallets, I mean, they could probably hold on to them for a long time. If you wanted to just literally overpay your front office. And we call it overpay because it would be a lot more than like what they currently make. But uh, why wouldn't you sink money into a low, low cost investment like that that has so much control over your team? Um, I think it's a way that like you can separate yourself from other teams. If you're a small market, you can remain competitive because you can keep those pieces in a way that you can't with the majority of your you know free agent contracts that you don't want to get into bidding wars on. How long would that last? I don't know. You know, if somebody started doing it, you'd basically escalate the war and everybody would start doing it. And eventually your big markets would catch up to it anyways. But if you're going to do it, I mean, they'd be better off being on the front end of it. Start paying them now. Be the first one with the big contracts. And then at least maybe you get a decade out before you start losing the guys when it it explodes around the league. So, um, but realistically, like I said, a year or two, probably one of them is going to jump. I don't know why they wouldn't. Um, and I don't think we should sit here and, you know, wring our hands when one of the guys goes, you know, obviously that, that creates some uncertainty, but, um, if they've created a strong front office, uh, they should be able to withstand that. I think, especially if they have, you know, a couple guys at the top that, um, are, are leading the franchise. Uh, and it's not just one, one person who makes all the decisions, um, you know, whether it is Stearns or. You know, if Arnold's really the guy, I don't know. Um, but like I said, I, you know, it's going to be a year or two because somebody's going to want a new challenge or somebody's going to get the big check.
2: Yeah, I think that's probably true. There's been less movement on this. Andy chef pointed that out in a conversation that we were having in our group chat with him, Steve, a while back now, but that there hasn't been as much movement as you maybe think. The The exceptions are sort of the Theo Epstein's and the Andrew Friedmans who have gone and taken huge massive amounts of money to move to chicago or to move to la and th- uh, they're on kind of a different scale than everybody else really in terms of compensation where it's those guys were pulling in like close to 10 million dollars per year something in that neighborhood whereas most guys it-
1: which is cheap compared to a player it is it right. is cheap yeah it's right. very inexpensive that's why like i said like if you're gonna write the big check like do it for those front office guys it mm-hmm. doesn't count against the. Uh, it's not a salary. luxury tax luxury or whatever. Luxury tax. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. Mm-hmm. count against that. You know, you can pay him whatever you want. So, like, take advantage of that fact. That's the place where you can get an edge.
2: Absolutely, I think uh, Mark Antonazio will keep David Stearns around as long as he possibly can. I think that the limiting factor here is going to be mostly about what David Stearns wants. Does he want to stay in Milwaukee and try right. to win a championship with a? club that doesn't offer him the the payroll resources that he could have at a bigger market club or does he want to move on and, and do that elsewhere yeah Friedman stuck around for quite a while in in Tampa Bay and passed on other opportunities before he decided to jump to uh, to LA though I guess at this point so that would have been about he was in Tampa Bay seven or eight years and mm-hmm. Stearns has now been in Milwaukee since september of 2015 so i guess Mm -hmm. he's getting to be at about that point where uh, probably second contract for both of them so and and that's going to be what determines this is does david stearns want to extend past and we don't know we were still we were laughing at this because mlb trade rumors just did a thing about this nobody knows what his Mm -hmm. option status is for we know he's under contract for 2022 that we know yep But there's all this uncertainty about what is his contract related to 2023. And if he wants to stay with the Brewers past that, Mark Atanasio will keep him. I have pretty firm faith in that. The question is whether or not he wants to go someplace else. And if he does decide he wants to go someplace else, where is that place? Is it the Mets still, even though they have a guy, but he's good friends with them and there's that whole uncertainty (laughs) thing? Yeah. We don't know, but I think this really does come down to what does David Stearns want?
1: Well, and pay attention for when uh, Steve Cohn sells off one of his ancient fertility statues or something like that.
0: That'll probably <laughs> cash in the buyout, David. That'll Stearns. be the tell. Yeah. yeah,
1: then we know. Oh, he's going all in on this.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's a good point, right? Like, this is pretty much what up to what David Stearns wants it. Mark a will keep him around as long as he wants to. I mean, there's but nothing about the job performance in the last five years that would warrant kind of moving on. You know, uh, we've seen plenty worse than David Stearns. So that's always the danger of anybody who's wants to move on from the strategy. It's the most successful stretch in franchise history or up there with one of them. So I mean, he's going to stay as long as he wants to. It is just a matter of whether or not Maybe he just wants a new challenge. You know, it's totally plausible if he were to say, you know, I've accomplished all I can here. There's a limit on how far we can get in a market this size and, and kind of just move on after that. But um well, and does he man, want
2: to raise yeah. his child in the the warm, loving bosom of New York City or in the cold, <laughs> heartless, dark, you know, uh, big metropolis of Milwaukee?
0: Yeah. Uh, man maybe it depends on if he can get his kid into like one of those fancy pre-k things in in the upper west side or whatever new york education is like right it's it's cutthroat up there so oh
2: i think he could get his kid in wherever he wants (laughs) like that i'm suspecting that probably isn't a
0: problem jump to the list it's in the terms of his mets contract Uh, (laughs) little david jr has to or whoever i don't know his kid's name anyway um we do have a Patreon question on the front office too. It comes from Adam Post. He is asking, how long can the brewers keep their competitive window open? How long until they need to do another rebuild? Or can they maintain sustained success without future rebuilds? Uh, Ryan, you're Mr. Rebuild. How long until we <laughs> gotta tear everything down? So I would say there's absolutely no need
2: for any of that unless a bunch of things all go really wrong for the next three years as long as you have woodruff burns peralta under control and they're healthy and productive and all the other pieces obviously the you know the young pitching ashby hauser i don't think any of these guys lower i don't think any of these guys are free agents before uh 2025 so as the the 2022 to 2024 window they shouldn't need to tear anything down until potentially if things aren't going well in 2024 and they haven't got guys to sign extensions or whatever, then maybe that changes the calculus at that point. And then you start rebuilding maybe at the trade deadline in 2024. But at least until that point, I can't see any need for them to tear it down. And they could extend that out if some of these younger players come through if they make other good trades, if, you know, development stuff happens that we aren't foreseeing right now, all of that is quite possible and could ex- extend the window. But I could I'm not going to see them going into any season until at least 2025 uh, looking like we're not trying to contend this year, if that makes sense. So three year yeah. window at least.
1: rebuilding in windows is an obsolete model so i don't believe that exists anymore uh with good front office management and you roll your eyes ryan but it's i do it's the truth you know i think with good management i think the only time you end up having to rebuild is when basically your team gets so crappy that you get number one picks that you can basically try to restock with that uh uh, talent that can alter a franchise cleveland Uh, is
2: doing a a soft rebuild right now and it's gonna work really well it's very probably
1: rebuild. it's a soft rebuild
2: uh soft rebuild is they are not trying to win in the current they're not spending very much they're not trying to win but they're also not like you know tanking I, I think out to lose like 90 or 100 games yeah, they're not the, they're not getting the, they, top 10 picks steve but they're they're but I, building I a farm that's what, system that's really good
1: that's what i think the the idea of this this tear down and rebuild is is that you end up tanking and i don't think teams are going to tank anymore for that there will be some shitty clubs that do that still because they saw it work for Houston and Chicago. But if everybody's doing it, I don't think it's going to work that well. And if everybody's running their farm systems better, their development better, um, you know, they're drafting better. Uh, I don't think you have that advantage you used to have by trying to tank and get the picks. Um, so I, I think, especially with the front office they have, it's sustained – Um, you know, that doesn't mean that they don't hit a season where things go poorly and they're nearing the end of contracts and they try to flip them. Like, that's still a reasonable thing to do, but I don't think you see that as the beginning of a, um, you know, five year process or something like that. I think it's closer to basically what they did, um, last time when they flipped, uh, was it Gomez and then Lucroy in like consecutive seasons. You know, it was basically 2014-ish.
2: Yeah, right. Yeah, that it was, was a,
1: basically like two seasons the where they where they flipped some guys um, to, to get some younger assets. They did
2: bottom out, though, in 2015. It, I'm, they not bottom- saying they
1: were, I'm not saying they were great, but it was not like a five-year period where they were just like trying to collect picks and they were getting, you know, top five picks every year. I just don't think that's a thing, and I think – you know, Milwaukee, Tampa Bay, teams like that have shown you, like that isn't the way you, you don't need to proceed in that direction. You don't need to be absolutely terrible for a long period of time. Um, I, I think, you know, if, if their pitching lab basically is as good as it's been so far, you know, I think they can probably keep a pipeline going, um, to to at least remain competitive, because I think we've seen what you know quality pitching can do as far as just keeping you in games, especially when you have, uh, you know, a manager like Craig Council basically that can can manage a pitching staff in a way, um, that that takes advantage of of that kind of
2: talent. Yeah, that's fair. We've been having this argument for about fifteen years at this point. So, like, <laughs> I mean, it, there's a there's a lot of history here, and there's a lot of stuff we could go into, but. I think that you're by and large right. I don't think the Brewers want to. I think part of what this whole thing was, was that they didn't want to go into a deep, dark rebuild and still don't want to do that and want to avoid that. And we able to do it this last time, though. I think that I think we've we've run into a little revisionist history with 2015 and 2016. They were pulling out the plug on that and they were doing a hard rebuild. What happened was they, they just came out of it a lot faster than anybody had any right to expect. Things worked so well for them. They, they hit on enough guys, and they were so successful. It wasn't like they were spending a ton of money in 2016, 2017, Stern's first years with the club. It was they just that guys. they hit on guy no. after guy after guy.
0: Like and it, that made it, them see, competitive. Paratoma's trade was a hit, right? Like, there were very few guys that they got back that didn't Except, like except for the draft picks they had. They hit on
1: everybody except for the draft picks.
2: Yeah, the draft picks have been – Trent Grisham has been the best one, and he was before uh, David Stearns even came in. He was the 2015 draft, and that was before Stearns came in, though it was with the scouting director that Stearns would keep for a few years into his tenure. So you can kind of draw lines there however you want. But, yeah, it, it's been – sort of a weird mishmash and yet in that first draft that David Stearns did have with his old scouting director uh in the fourth round yeah in the first round they took Corey Ray and that's been a disaster and in the fourth round in the fourth round they took uh Corbin Burns so that was a huge huge success
0: all right uh I guess let's move on uh I guess you know once once you draft the players kind of comes up to the coaching staff to develop them up right so that kind of leads us to our next natural transition here how we feel about the coaching staff uh i guess it'll all start with the manager at the big league level so let's just go to our next patreon question comes from pj wessels just saying craig council forever or just until the competitive window closes well steve i think we've established you think the competitive window is bullshit already so how long is craig council manager of the brewers I mean, I'd like
1: to say forever, but eventually young and uh, very ahead of the curve managers like that become old and set in their ways. Um, so there, w- there, w- there will be a time eventually that we look at the way that Craig's managing the team and we probably say he's past his prime. Um, but for now, I would imagine that's that's a ways off. Uh, he's still well ahead of the curve versus a lot of other managers in baseball. So um, I don't think competitive windows matter for Craig Council managing this team and being a guy from the area with a connection to the Brewers and to you know Milwaukee, you know personally, um, they should be able to keep him for quite a while. I, I don't see him jumping for another club. Um, I don't know. Would Miami or Arizona decide to try to pick him off? And just throwing an obscene
2: amount of money at him? Maybe. And then it comes down to, does he want to stay? And I think that we don't have any indication that says he wouldn't want to stay. He seems perfectly happy.
1: And I'm just saying, like, maybe those would be two locations that he'd potentially want to, like, go back to or could justify going to. Other than that, I don't see Craig Council jumping to any of the other teams just because it's, you know, New York, L.A., Chicago or something like that.
2: Maybe at some point he does want to do that. Maybe it gets to the point where if they they especially if they they manage to like sort of reset instead of rebuild after this current group and they're able to kind of push it forward and push it forward. And maybe he gets to be more up to around 60 years old or something like that because now he's, he's not even 50 yet I don't believe or he just turned 50 maybe. But uh, maybe once he gets to his 60s and if the Brewers haven't won at all, maybe then there gets to be an itch to, well, get me to a team that I can potentially take to a championship and have that experience as being a championship level manager. If, if it comes down to, do I want to stay in Milwaukee and go through a rebuild or potentially leave? Maybe, but that's really the only thing I could see that would cause him to leave is if, if it came down to that sort of a decision. And even then, he was so adept. He was so good at handling the last rebuild the Brewers did um, mm-hmm. in, in 2015, 2016, uh, 2017, and, and bringing that along the way that he did. And the players love him. Who was it? Was it Urias that said he'd run through a brick wall for council? Like, the players adore him. And Several
0: people, yeah, exactly.
2: And so it, it kind of, I think, comes down to how long does he want to be here, and is he able to achieve all the goals that He wants here and as long as he feels like he is competing and they're they have a chance to win it all and and they're in that position to potentially do that. I don't see any reason why he would leave
1: and he's 51 by the way.
2: Okay, so he has still a, a quite a good long while knock on wood, you know, and nothing is certain in this world, but you'd think he has a pretty decent good long run ahead of him still in terms of managing so. Yeah, I don't see any reason that he would leave except if it gets to the point where he just doesn't feel like he can, you know, win here. And that would be, I think, quite a ways down the line.
0: I actually think it might be more likely not that he leaves for another job, but that he leaves for the front office again. You know, like if if the Stearns-Matt Arnold duel breaks up or – if we get five years down the road or whatever, and he decides he wants to not be on the road all the time, but he—I mean—he started that post-playing path right in the front office. He is adept at that. He was, by all accounts, really good at that too. He was just the guy they thought was the best fit at the time for the on-field role. I—I th- I could see him maybe moving into a front-office role too going forward. I don't know about you guys.
2: Yeah, that seems perfectly reasonable to me. I mean, I don't know. Uh
1: I think his kids are at the age right now where he'd want to be home in a front office role would make more sense. No, Damn. no, 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 no. <laughs>
2: Those front office guys put in insane hours. As like,
1: opposed to managers who managers
2: don't? during during the season, they are traveling. I think during the off season, it's not anything like it's not anything comparable. Uh, the, sure. the number of hours people in front offices put in is... I,
1: I'm just saying... Everything I, I've I heard mean, is terrible. Maybe, but I mean, his kids are at an age right now where you would imagine he'd want to be home and he's still managing games, so I don't know. It could go anyway. I, sure. I, again, I think the Brewers were lucky to get kind of the perfect fit for what right. you could possibly want in a manager who happened to have... You know, major league credibility, hometown credibility, some front office experience, you know, time with the team as well, aside from just being a major league player. I mean, when are you going to find that again?
2: No, and then the fact that he just seems like he's a brilliant baseball mind, like just really, really smart. Yeah, that's the dream, right? That's and a nice guy who we love. He seems to be. (laughs) You never know about people, but he seems to be pretty pretty cool so
1: i think that would break my heart if i found out that craig is a raging asshole yeah that would <laughs> that
2: would bug me too I'd, i it would be it would be close to like Giannis' level of disappointment <laughs> like if i oh out yeah, yeah. Giannis was really just I like th- a total yeah like i think jackass. he's
1: basically the only other guy that could disappoint me on that level
2: right because yeah, because aaron Rodgers has already
1: Rodgers disappointed you. <laughs> yeah he's...
2: yeah
0: yeah all right um let's move to the other portions of the coaching staff shall we um We do have a question about the the hitting coach, but I think the big thing about the Brewers that's made them go in the last couple of years is the pitching. And, you know, we talk pitching lab, pitching lab, pitching lab, all this player development, but we don't really talk too much about the actual pitching coach. Uh, you know, there was a lot of hand wringing when Derek Johnson left town that the Brewers were letting the best one get away. Right. And, and Chris hook was garbage. Uh, and it looks like, uh, that might not be the case you know, considering he helped develop a freaking Cy Young winner. So <laughs> I guess, Steve, let's start with you. Does Chris Hook get enough credit for what he's done since he's taken over post-Derek Johnson?
1: I don't know. Are pitching coaches the new hitting coaches? I mean, with the pitching lab, how much do these guys individually do at the major league level? Um, yeah, I know it was doom and gloom when when Derek Johnson left. Um, and it it would be nice to think Chris Hook is like just exactly the same level or a little bit better. Um, But it's hard to say, again, because it's such an organizational um, thing as far as, you know, developing pitchers. And, you know, we'll probably get into it as far as hitting is concerned as well. So, uh, you know, it's hard to say on the major league level how much is just this one guy versus everything that the club is working on at any time. Um, And I think we've seen with the development of pitchers, um, clearly the club has a pretty strong hand um, in, in shepherding them along um, as far as what their development is, understanding you know, their skill level as they're coming up, understanding changes they need to make when they get to the major league level, if they hit some of those drastic road bumps. And we've seen a couple of guys do that. Um, so, I, I mean, I think you have to give Hook credit for being able to maintain uh, what these guys learn in the, the pitching lab. Um, as they're coming up and and to continue working with these guys, but to say any coach at any position on the field is doing like the one thing to make a change for the team. You know, it, it's hard to say that, but you, you have to give him credit for what the, the pitching staff has done to this point.
2: Yeah, and remember, we're not that far removed. When he took over from Derek Johnson in 2019, there was a lot of calls for his head because of watching Corbin Burns just... Crash and burn out in 2019 in a really dramatic, awful way, even though a lot of other things were still going right. And people, I think, really did think that Derek Johnson was the epicenter of this. And you have to remember, Chris Hook has been in the organization for a long time. Going back to 2009, he was kind of worked his way up from the Timber Rattlers through AA. And then in 2018, the year before, Derek Johnson left, he was the Brewers' roving minor league pitching coordinator. Mm-hmm. And I think that in that time, he probably got maybe built up the credibility and they saw in him a guy who could be a big league uh, pitching coach and a guy who was probably more of a big picture guy than maybe some pitchers pitching coaches are in terms of sort of overseeing the whole thing. I suspect he has quite a if not like a day-to-day knowledge of what's going on with the pitching lab and all of that stuff, I suspect he he is quite well up to date on what's going on there and keeps up with with what's going on there and is helping to set priorities, discuss ideas, get things sort of like plans in place and all of that. And I think that is a big part of what he does. And... So I think that he is and I, I am the one who put this question in there. So I think he, <laughs> he does get overlooked a lot. And I think that they, they, as far as a guy who is sort of the CEO of the pitching side of the organization, which is what I would guess he kind of is, I think that he's done a tremendous job and I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to lose him and I I hope they're doing everything they can to keep him though. Also I'm sure developing up other people behind him who are capable of, you know, eventually taking that mantle from him or working collaboratively with him or whoever else to extend out this great run of pitching development. That is unlike anything we've seen in the history of the franchise.
0: Yeah. I think even if, it's more of an organizational philosophy, like Steve said. I think Chris Hook has kind of shown a, a really good ability to understand what that philosophy is and implement it, right? It's one thing to kind of have this overarching philosophy, but you still need the right people in place to kind of implement it, right? It's mm-hmm. just like good management, even in the professional world. So um you know, even if he is more of the CEO, like you said, Ryan, I think he's done a pretty good job of, A, understanding what that organizational mission statement is, for lack of a better word, right, and B, implementing it. So, uh, I mean, hopefully, like you said, he's he's kind of helped instill that in the people below him, too, so the Brewers do kind of keep that pipeline going. Uh, sort of like we said, with a lot of different aspects to the front office or what have you. I think the, the key to sustained success would be to you know train up your lower level employees and they can become the executives someday too. So uh, whether that's the case with the pitching coaches, we'll we'll see. But I think so far it, it's pretty clear that he's done a really really good job, and yeah, especially for how much he got blasted in 2019, like you said. Um, hitting side I was gonna say one uh, last thing he's not screwing yeah. guys up so there you go thumbs up I mean there's a lot to be said for that too right like yeah you, you don't necessarily get credit for not screwing up but I think when it comes to baseball player development you can tinker too much and, and really ruin guys you know we we you know the debate there is maybe we saw that with Corey Ray or we saw that with Keston here on the hitting side so um and then maybe this is the natural segue to the hitting side because uh yikes compared to the pitching, right? So um let's just start, I guess, with that Twitter question. Uh we have it from at emergency p PJ Aquinimous St. Brown Stan account great name still, uh, especially as me and Steve are rooting for his brother Amon Ra today. Uh, So the question here is, could you describe a hitting coach's quote unquote, philosophy and how it's implemented other than fundamentals and drills? I honestly have no idea. So Ryan, as the resident, I guess, prospect (laughs) guru here, please explain hitter development and, and what all that entails.
2: Okay. So I actually did think about this question quite a bit today. And so there's, there's, I think, two sides to this, at least at the major league level. And what you're looking at on one side is the mechanical aspects of it. Like what you have to do to have a good sound swing. And on the mechanical side of things, I think that people are best served to not try to adopt one size fits all approaches and to work with whatever a guy's current swing is to make it the best possible swing it can be and not necessarily try to overhaul anything unless that absolutely becomes necessary. Like, I don't think you want to be drafting guys with the idea that this guy is going to need a major swing overhaul right away. Unless maybe it's somebody like Garrett Mitchell, who the other tools are just so damn great that you're like, we're willing to take this chance because we're drafting 20th. And you don't generally get guys that have massive, massive tools like Garrett Mitchell has when you're drafting 20th. So you kind of take a swing for the fences on on something like that. Um, No pun intended. But the other side of things then is the approach side. And that, I think, becomes more and more important at the big league level where you're looking at making sure guys are prepped for the pitchers they're going to face. How are these pitchers going to attack them? What do they need to look for? And how can they have success against a given guy's stuff and approach and what should they be looking for and all those sorts of things? I think what we're going to see probably is from their their dual hitting coaches that they have now, I'm sorry, off the top of my head, I I don't remember the names of the guys. There was the older guy from the Rays and the younger guy who came from – someplace else Seattle Seattle Seattle. yes okay so my guess is you're going to see that younger guy who is more adept in the ways of video and all those sorts of things because that was kind of his big selling point is he's great at analyzing those sorts of things he's going to work more on the approach side and that sort of thing and the other guy is going to be more of the mechanical guy the person that you go to when your swing is not quite right and you're trying to figure out how to fix that so that's at least the way I have it broken down in my head. I'm sure Steve thinks that's all a bunch of garbage.
1: <laughs> no, I haven't thought about it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Thank you, Steve, for
0: jumping I, I mean, down. honestly, yeah.
1: you know, um, as far as I think both hitting and pitching are concerned, um, I, I think a lot of organizations, as long as they get to the point where they evolve to Allowing players to kind of be themselves up to a point. Um, I think there's both with pitching and hitting that kind of like small middle area where you need, you know, the, the hips and the arm action, whatever you're doing, pitching, hitting um, to all kind of line up in a certain way to, to be successful. As long as you can kind of get guys right in that small midsection of, of their mechanics, like I said, hitting or pitching. um, I think that's basically the main thing that those, those coaches have to do, like, as they're coming up through the system, you know, because there's a lot of movement before and after, you know, uh, either on the load or the follow through with guys that I, I think, you know, whatever, whatever a guy is comfortable with is kind of what you need to roll with, unless it's clearly, um, disrupting their ability to hit. So, um, like I said, that that's the kind of thing I look for, I think in their philosophy, if you see a lot of guys coming up, all trying to execute the same way. I think then you have too rigid of a program, um, and that's where you're going to see a lot of guys struggle um, as far as being able to excel as hitters. Um, Like I said, because it's such an individual approach. And again, that's hitting or pitching. It goes both sides. So, um, you know, as as long as that side of it is kind of left alone. And then, yeah, as Ryan brought up, The scouting aspect I think is interesting I think when they get to the major leagues and I don't know how much of that is um, especially when you have a lot of young players as hitters. They don't understand the amount of scouting they need to do um, understanding their own weaknesses and making adjustments. So, you know, maybe that's what it's going to take as a hitting coach that can kind of get that across as a teacher as far as like here you need to understand these are your weaknesses. These are This is how you're going to be attacked and this is what you need to do to not necessarily like hit them but at least get into a situation where you can get a pitch to hit you know learning how to basically follow those balls off and getting yourself in a situation where eventually you get that one ball that you can attack and be successful um i think that's kind of the way they really need to go about it so you know if they have the video team to basically be able to implement that i think it's going to be helpful um, because it doesn't seem like that's what they've had so far, but it's so hard because again, it's such a multi-level approach between, you know, you, developing skills through the minors and then basically, um, coaching guys up when they get to the major leagues and and doing that, that video scouting from the outside, it's hard to identify like, you know, this is where they're struggling. This is the point that they need to like make the changes, mm-hmm. um, to, to be able to, you know, turn the corner and actually put together a little bit more of a stronger offense.
0: Right. And I think, you know, during the pandemic season, we saw the effect that not having video analysis had on a lot of guys, you know, like Javi Baez and others had the worst seasons because they just, they weren't allowed to have that personnel in there to help them with that. So I think that's a really underrated aspect of this. And I'm kind of interested to see how having, you know, those duties kind of split among multiple people kind of works in this upcoming season. So I guess we'll, we'll just see how this new approach goes. Seemed to work okay for the Giants in the last year. Um, it Um You know, and with the hitting, you guys both brought up the development here. So I think we can kind of wrap things up with the look at the scouting and development uh departments, as it were, in the Brewers organization. Um, You know, obviously pitching. Coming along just great. They can apparently find anybody off the scrap heap and turn them into a a dominant reliever at the very least. Uh, But hitting, as we've talked about, kind of the bigger issue here. So, Ryan, I guess, how will we know when they've, I guess, quote-unquote, fixed their hitting? You know, they they lost Sarah Goodrum in this offseason. We've kind of talked about it's hard to tell how much impact she would have had in one year. But um, I guess what would be the telltale sign that something has turned the corner here?
2: You're just going to need to see it in numbers. You, it's yeah. not going to be one guy. When they're good? Yeah, well, you're, but you're going to need to see <laughs> not just one <laughs> guy. And yeah. you could still have failures. I think that there's this idea that, like, I can't remember who I was talking with this about. It might have even been Paul. But, like, this idea that, like, if Christian Yelich, if you can't fix Christian Yelich, then what good are you as a hitting coach? Well it's bigger than that it's if you can fix a bunch of people and help them to develop into the best versions of themselves as hitters then you're gonna be there are gonna be failures that you can have
1: yeah i mean they could you know theoretically turn a lot of guys into what christian yelich is now and then you'd have to say they actually have a really good um hitting coach and offensive philosophy if if you could basically coach up a team to um, take pitches like that and basically work, work pitchers in that way. Um, you know, they have the potential, I, th- I think in that regard. Um, but it's, I mean, it's a long road to basically say, like, change your minor league philosophy, um, to get the team on track as far as hitters are concerned. So they have, you know, like I said, a major league average offense. I don't even know what that would be because it can happen oh, right. in so many different ways, you know? Right and honestly i think that might be one way to look at it is you know when have they fixed it when they have a mix of guys who you know maybe maybe some guys just basically uh drain pitchers and basically take pitches and grind them down and then other guys are just you know contact monsters and they basically just constantly put the bat on the ball um and i think when you see that that mix of styles and all the ability to be successful, as opposed to you know everybody trying to fit into one box. That's probably when they've hit the right development standard. Because, like I said, you know I was talking about earlier, um, I don't think you can expect everybody to be the same hitter. Like you can't say, okay, right. here's our club philosophy. You're going to come up through you know four, or five levels, whatever it is, through the minors, um, and everybody's going to have the same approach. That's not going to happen. Um, So I think it's the ability to basically have everybody adapt their own approaches into a way that that works at the major league level. Um, And it's going to take a while to actually see when it's implemented because they need to start producing guys offensively who you can legitimately say like, oh, this is going to be a major league player. And they really haven't had many of those.
2: And the other thing I think you can say is that it's probably going to be something we have to look back on to be able to put a time on it because we could Mm -hmm. now go back and say the Brewers had turned around their pitching development by 2014, 2015, and really by that point, things were starting to really turn around in a big way for this pitching development.
1: I don't know about that, but okay.
2: Well, no. I mean, if you look at the guys who are coming through the system at that point, you have a bunch of guys. Yeah, it it really had turned around at that point, but nobody would have dared say that until like 2018 when it was obvious (laughs) at the big league level. So it's going
0: to take some time. I guess the question here then too is uh, process versus results, right? So the process can be good and the results still kind of suck for a time being. But as long as we kind of see some sort of development in process, maybe things are all right. But I guess, Steve, how, how would you delineate like that? Like, how would we know if the process is good, even if the results are still kind of lagging behind in the next year or so? i mean i guess part of it's just how much patience
1: do you have um you know because is we could say the process is good but if it's not actually turning out players then clearly it's not a good process there <laughs> because there would be some level of success so um you know i would imagine they've already started to implement new philosophies in the minor leagues that we're waiting to see kind of like bear some fruit um you know you basically have maybe a couple seasons to kind of see it happen um and i know that feels like a short window but again that's with some expectation that we're talking about it when they're already in the process they know what the problem is um if they're just addressing it now i mean i don't know four years at least probably before you really start to see anything And that's kind of late in the game to identify that there's a problem to begin with. So, again, that would go back to then the process is bad to begin with. Um, So, like I said, we'll see. You know, I I think Ryan was talking about the number of prospects. There were a lot of surprising number of offensive prospects on your list this year, Ryan.
2: I guess i mean I, I wasn't surprised by it because i've been following along as this has happened so it wasn't like it took me by surprise but i think from a big picture it is surprising that a but, team that does this well with pitching and this poorly with hitting would have all these hitters instead of pitchers
1: but i think that's a good example of okay if we feel like they have some hitters now in the pipeline like that's where they have more of their strength even if they're not like a super strong farm system um you know, we're going to see if that plays out. If, if these guys keep underperforming, you know, we're on the pitching side, all of a sudden they get to the major leagues and they're taking steps forward. Then we know that whatever they're trying to implement still isn't working.
2: Yeah. I mean, you're just going to see it over and over and over again. Like this year we had Joey Weimer and that is a huge thing. I don't know how much you guys have looked at his season. He was absolutely phenomenal this year and has a ton of tools and had a really productive year and it will be making the jump to double a and we're going to, you know, see a lot about how good he really is this year. And there's also like mechanical changes that have been noticed to back up this. So it's not just like, Oh, this came out of nowhere. He really did some things. So you're going to need to see that over and over and over again. And to be fair, We maybe have already seen it in terms of the corner being turned in the minor league system, and it may not even be with guys who end up being great major leaguers, Um, the Corey Howells, the Joe Grays of the world. Those guys had breakthrough years this year, and even if they don't turn into good big leaguers down the road, the fact that they have become much better versions of themselves offers maybe some hope that like, when they do have guys who are truly the The talented ones who are going to come through um, the system that they're they're ready to take those guys and make them into the stars that they need going forward. If that makes sense,
0: yeah. I mean, you got to start somewhere, right? And you still need those like league average or even slightly below average guys to be developed. And the issue is the Brewers haven't really had that. So, I mean, you got to have the I guess hitting equivalent of a fifth starter. Come through every once in a while too, right? Mm-hmm. So I mean. you do, and they've been having
2: trouble doing that. And but in the meantime, they've been pretty successful at finding them on the major league level and bringing them in, you know, that way. So that's been pretty successful. But really, the Brewers are always going to have trouble getting superstars uh because they can't pay for them in free agency. But like pretty much, they they, they could. There's a very limited window that they could do that sort of thing in free agency. Trading for them gets harder and harder because as Steve pointed out, you can't trade for guys with organizations that are dumb if they're not dumb, right? Like you can't fleece <laughs> an organization for their yeah. future stud if they're smart enough to know, hey, we shouldn't trade this guy. So that becomes harder to do. And so really what you're you're kind of left with is you need to identify talent at the amateur level. So the scouting side of things, whether that's um, boots-on-the-ground scouts, or as the Brewers are doing much more of now, video scouting and, um, like, you know, Trackman, soto scouting, those sorts mm-hmm. of things. And then you need to get them into your system, and you need to have a plan, a unified plan, and then work with these guys to become the best version of themselves they can be. And I think we're seeing some improvement on this, but we won't know for sure for a few years until we can, like, really see it, you know, come to fruition at the big league level. So, just from a development standpoint, then that's different than the like the major league hitting side of things. Um, we're just gonna have to be patient. There's really nothing else we can do.
1: I won't believe it till I see it at Amfam Field.
2: <laughs> Seeing's believing. Yep, and then you won't even believe it then.
1: Uh, You'll have
2: to be convinced of it a few times over.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Even if I see it, I'm skeptical.
0: Right, exactly. <laughs> this won't last. Yeah, This is fake. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, let's wrap things up here. We got a good Twitter question that I think puts a nice little cherry on the top of the State of the Union, as it were. So this one comes from uh, our friend Justin Sain, uh, who's asking, who is the most comparable organization of the Brewers in the MLB currently? Um, so I think there's a couple different options here. I know, Ryan, you've mentioned a few in the past. I think for me, it'd be maybe tampa bay but they've obviously had a little bit more postseason success uh ryan what are your thoughts
2: yeah i think it's it's tampa bay it's cleveland it's oakland those are the the big ones that really stand out um they've all had pretty good success with pitching they've all had pretty good success in terms of just you know churning through uh a lot of different options um and building through depth. I think that's all three of those have really built through depth. That's a, another big sort of key factor there. So I think those are the three that I would point to first and foremost. I don't think anybody else really stands out in my mind.
1: Uh, you know, my issue with that is both Tampa and Oakland are actually really big markets. So <laughs> who are those guys? Like, is not we, 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 we categorize them with Milwaukee because they're cheap. But they have the market size to not be cheap like that. So um,
2: Right. Milwaukee and Cleveland are different than those two, though. you Did you see Oakland has been kicked out of revenue sharing and they're being told to uh, find their own way a little bit more instead of uh, sucking at the teat of MLB?
1: So they're going to find their way to Las Vegas. That is, uh-huh. <laughs> I think, the general
2: plan here, yes. <laughs>
1: I mean, they might as well do it. Look, I mean, San Francisco is a more popular team and they're on the other side of the Bay. Like, they're really close. Like,
2: I want if- that stadium, Steve. That stadium yeah. that they're talking about building in the Bay, I want that stadium. I want to go to there, and I want to see what that actually is in reality. I want that built.
1: You, you do not have the money to go there. To go that- to San Francisco? Oh, San Francisco. I thought you were talking about the, the Oakland Stadium. The one that they had put out years ago, where it was going to be like half the uh, attendance size, but like oh, everybody had their own like personal Wi Fi and like videos. No, no, no. I
2: am talking about the the most recent one, the one that they're talking about doing as part of a big development down on the waterfront in Oakland, and it's uh, it's got like lawn on top of the roof of the stadium, so that people can just like walk. Oh yeah, you, you got to see pictures of the Steve. It's wild. Sure. Like I, want, I want it. I want it. It's man. it's you have to see it to believe it. And but it sounds like what Oakland is doing is It's like
1: look at this absolutely absurd stadium that will never get built. We're right. gonna blame it on somebody
0: else and then move. Well, and no, it's, it's like a the city, stadium with all the the sales and stuff. It's like one good hurricane is gonna knock that thing over.
2: The so, city yeah. has actually approved it now. Like they're letting them move forward and now the the A's are like, no, we want more. Give us more, give us more, give oh, us yeah. more. No,
1: because it's it's all a, a scam. Because they want to move,
2: to move to Vegas, yes. Yeah,
1: they want to move. They want to move no matter what. So that's why they'll put out something that seems ridiculous, and then they'll go, we didn't get enough, so they have to move. So whatever. Screw those guys. Uh, <laughs> enjoy your baseball in the desert, I guess, when they get to Las mm. Vegas. The Allegiant
0: A's or what have you. Whatever. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, they've been the yeah. A's everywhere. So yeah, Vegas A's. Yeah. Just make it short for Aces or like the WNBA yeah. team and there you go uh yeah just change the logo to like the ace of diamonds there you go I'm a freaking elephant. marketing genius you could do the elephant on a baseball with an ace you know somewhere yeah yeah, yeah. yeah you It'll look like a playing card would you say that
2: graphic design is a passion of yours James
0: it's it's a huge passion of mine yes maybe I'll do it I should do like an ms paint mock-up of of that yeah that'd be great <laughs> All right. Uh, we've been rambling for long enough, and I think if we keep going, Steve and Ryan will just start yelling at each other for hours on end, and I think it's entertaining, but I don't want to keep all of you waiting, so... You'd have uh, a fucking fit and eventually keel over. Oh, boy. Yeah.
1: We've, we've been dodging coughing. I fans. was going to say, it's a good thing he's got a mute button, but you guys, we, we couldn't
0: hear the mute button. This is all getting edited out anyway, so it doesn't matter. Oh, no. This one will <laughs> stay in, because you're, you're being
2: unsympathetic <laughs> to my coughing, Jags, is exactly the sort of branding i want steve to have uh, so
1: when you'd hear our voices change when we're giving an answer and then it would go <laughs> on very long that was clearly a point where ryan was having Stretch.
2: when when steve says um he's pretty good about not doing that but when he doesn't um you can pretty much bet that yeah i just started coughing really, really hard.
0: We're a little distracted here between between that and the, the fantasy football finals. All right. Great.
1: I gotta talk about fucking hitting coaches because Ryan's <laughs> off into the room trying to get rid of this coughing jacket.
0: Give me your three point plan for improving the hitting coaches, Steve. Uh yeah. I'm looking forward to hearing what your answer was, Steve. Yeah. Uh, it- He pretty much punted on that. Anyway, (laughs) it was was great. It it was was great. Good content. Uh, Rate us five stars, please. By the way, uh, let's uh, shout out our new patrons. When you sign up to become a patron, not only do you get that question priority, but you also get a shout out here and on the Reporting as Eligible podcast. Ryan, who do we have who joined us in the last week? Oh, Brett
2: Smith. Bless you for having the most like easily pronounceable standard white guy name <laughs> i was in gonna say
1: i'm very disappointed by this see we used not to, even yeah not even we right used to kick this way. over to jp to have to do the names because like we're like whatever history buff you uh yeah. figure out what this this means
0: yeah so. what's the lineage of this family name yeah here? it's so, not even like a Smythe here it's just smith, so. smith. that sounds like a generic name that like yeah. up in a
1: video game or something it's a
0: fake name for yeah. sure uh, probably not one of the football ones, right? Because they get the, all the fun names. Not that you guys are boring, but you know they're all like Discord <laughs> user names, aren't they? Oh yeah, yes.
2: I but think we, Brett we, Smith was actually my ace of the twenty thirty eight Brewers on OOTP.
0: Oh my god, it's a straight computer generated name. Yeah, sorry, Brett. I'm sure you're a real person, but we
2: appreciate
1: Brett Smith for joining Patreon. We do appreciate and, uh, you, Brett, especially
0: at this time. It is both
1: the end of the football season. And going into a strike for baseball, so oh what, Steve? Uh, a sorry, a work stoppage for baseball. Oh what, Steve? It's a work stoppage. That's just going to be a catch-all for everything.
2: What? No, it's a lockout. The the owners lock the players out. Let's be very clear about that. I'm just Catching anyway.
0: Steve's trying to be nice here. And I'm say, trying to say hey, Brett, thanks for joining up when Brett is joining notch- is that is going, going on? Yeah, exactly. Time. So yeah. yeah, Brett, thank you. <laughs> it's the end of the year you know everybody's more conscious about their finances right around now so you know brett thank you for for signing up and and sparing the extra couple bucks here a month uh as i mentioned too, uh brett and everybody else we'd appreciate if you leave us a review for this podcast uh despite all ryan and steve's bickering this week uh five stars super appreciated uh helps us kind of work our way up the ranking seat make us more available to, to more folks. And as a reminder, Paul will literally read any five star review you leave for us. It doesn't matter what it says. Just give us five stars. Paul will read it when he joins us again uh, on future iterations of this podcast. While you're there, please do subscribe to us as well. You won't miss an episode. You'll get that little push alert on your phone every time Ryan posts our uh, weekly podcast there. So hit that subscribe button, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever else. Uh, Steve, thanks for joining in for us today, Uh, taking an hour to a out to stop worrying about your fantasy team, although Dude, I don't I'm on Ross, St.
1: St. Brown's got 35 points for me so far
0: this week. Yeah, he's lighting it up. I'm, I'm glad he's saving me. He's saving me. Josh Allen's three interceptions kind of sucked me a little bit, but hopefully Steve and I win some money this week. Uh, in the meantime, everybody else uh, have a good one. Happy New Year, everyone. We'll be back next week here on Milwaukee's Tailgate. Stay well. I was right.
1: I was gonna say we're dealing with uh COVID ryan over there jesus
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's good that he's got a mute button or we'd uh really be in some trouble i'm sorry ask that question again
0: <laughs> um all right just for ryan's benefit we'll restart in three two hold, hold on we one. need to yeah, make sure that yeah yeah are you okay we we kind of paused we got distracted Despite our best efforts. Because
2: it sounds like I'm dying over here. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Are you sure you don't have COVID, man? Uh, it, I'm, it sounds bad.
2: I have tested negative a bunch of times. I haven't tested in like four days, but I've tested negative. Oh,
0: boy. All right. So I'm going to just restart the question because we were diverted. Um, we'll go in three, two, one.